Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the FT's U.S. Election Countdown podcast. I'm Amy Keene in Washington with... Dimitri Sevastopoulos. And Sam Fleming. All right, guys. So we've had our final debate of this election. Uh, it was hosted by Fox News journalist Chris Wallace in Las Vegas, Nevada on Wednesday night. It's probably considered one of the most substantive debates that we've had so far, if you guys would agree. Uh, definitely. I mean, the first two debates were basically shouting matches where both of the candidates were insulting each other. Uh, last night, we started out with uh, questions about gun control, about abortion, about immigration. But it did get nasty pretty quickly. I mean, Sam, what do you think? I agree. I mean, it, well, the first maybe half an hour or so, it felt like a totally different debate from the, the previous two, almost with two different candidates who were addressing in quite detailed ways, um, pretty detailed questions about the the Constitution and the Supreme Court, as you said. And then suddenly the mood changed very radically. And I think, I guess, it was around the time that Russia uh, came up, wasn't it? Um, and um, uh, Clinton jumped on this idea that perhaps Trump was a, a puppet of Vladimir Putin. And that really set uh, the two candidates off. And from then on, it really spiraled into an increasingly bad-tempered uh, evening. Yeah, I think we have a quick clip of that exchange. Do you condemn... Any interference by Russia in the American election? By Russia or anybody else? You condemn their interference? Of course I condemn. Of course I can. I don't know Putin. I have I'm, no I'm idea. Asking, I'm asking I you never met condemn. Putin. This is not my best friend. But if the United States got along with Russia, wouldn't be so bad. The amazing thing about the Russia question is that all of the 17 American intelligence agencies uh, believe that Russia was behind the hacking of the uh, Clinton campaign emails. But Trump says... Nobody knows that that's true. Clinton doesn't know if it's true. The American government doesn't know that it's true. And so when she calls him a puppet of Vladimir Putin, he basically walks into her trap every time. And it's really unclear why he does that. It would be very easy for him to say, yes, we think the Russians did it, but actually the problem is what you said in your emails and attack her on that. But she just goads him and he falls into the trap. And she, in that whole exchange, the, the reason it came up was because of the WikiLeaks uh, revelations and this whole question of what she said in speeches to bankers. But she pivoted in a slightly clod-hopping way, I think, to Russia, saying, well, this actually the issue here is Russian hacking. But um, Trump really didn't do very well in steering the debate back uh, to the original question, which is, uh, which is the contents of these speeches and the question about whether Clinton has a public and private face when it comes to policy. Uh, so it was a real good example, I think, of um, Trump's inability to stay on message, which uh, he, he was on message initially, but it just, it just broke down as the evening went on. And I mean, some of his uh, most ardent supporters on the right were tweeting last night, what is he doing? Why is he not attacking Clinton on the emails? He's losing an opportunity here. I mean, and when they abandon him, you know that he's having a very bad night. Well, speaking of staying on message or having trouble staying on message, I think the, one of the biggest headlines to come out of the debate was Trump's refusal to admit that he would accept the outcome of this election. Uh, it sort of came on the back of both Mike Pence saying that, of course, that they would accept, you know, however the votes turn out. Uh, his daughter, Ivanka Trump, said the same thing at a, at a panel earlier in the day. Does this matter? Does this Is this sort of signal a, a breakdown, a, another breakdown within the Republican Party? 
Well, on one level, it's hard to know because Trump says so many things that you have to take with a grain of salt. And the next day he changes his mind. He denies that he said it. He pretends it didn't happen. And maybe that will happen this time. Uh, but it raises a really fundamental question about American democracy, which has seen peaceful transitions of power for more than two centuries. Uh, you know, if Trump loses to Clinton and it's not close, there's really very little he can do. It's not as if he'll get the Supreme Court to come in and weigh down on, on his side. But I think the bigger issue is if his supporters think that the election was stolen from him and that it was rigged, then that's really difficult for the Republican Party because the Republican Party right now is comprised of about 70% of Trump supporters. And so what do Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, what do they do if most of the members of their grassroots think the election was stolen? So I think it has repercussions. Uh, but, you know, if Trump loses, he'll have lost. I guess the other point on this is that it means that headlines and debate following this uh, this contest last night have once again been uh, centering around a statement, a controversial statement by Mr. Trump, and therefore questions about his character and suitability for high office, not about the, the kind of points that he would want to be getting across, I- ideally, for example, on emails that we were discussing earlier. So once again, you really come out of this debate uh, talking about a topic which really isn't going to broaden Donald Trump's appeal. There was some rather sort of aggressive language really early on in the debate when uh, Chris Wallace introduced questions about the Supreme Court, uh, and Trump sort of immediately came out and said, I'm going to put or appoint a pro-life justice to the court uh, should he become president. And then pretty soon we got into him talking about late-term abortions, criticizing Clinton on her support of uh, the Supreme Court decision Roe v. Wade. Here's a clip. Indeed, he said women should be punished, that there should be some form of punishment Uh, for women uh, who obtain abortions. And I could just not be more opposed to that kind of thinking. If you go with what Hillary is saying, in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. This is obviously extremely emotive uh, language. Uh, I think probably the main takeaway from this area is this is uh, on both uh, sides of the fence, the two candidates talking about a very specific and very controversial policy area, which is very important to their supporters, uh, but actually sticking to a genuine policy issue. And I think um, this is so maybe maybe it's a good example of uh, the opposite of what we had later in the debate when the candidates were really going at each other as personalities. This is a, a, a visceral and extremely important divide um, between the two parties. I mean, it's also uh, a very um, deliberate ploy by Clinton to win over female voters. I mean, for example, in Colorado, a swing state uh, where Clinton is hoping to beat Trump, seven out of ten women support uh, abortion. Um, So she was speaking to, I think, a certain part of the population when she said that. Uh, But abortion is one of those issues in America where views in general haven't changed. I mean, while people have become much more open to same-sex marriage and gay relationships, the uh, percentage of Americans who oppose abortion really hasn't changed very much over the last three decades. Uh, But Trump certainly used some pretty aggressive language in in his attack on Clinton last night. Well, another sort of uh, key Trump moment uh, from last night, they were sort of on the subject of immigration and Trump again made his his pronouncement that he is going to, you know, build the wall, close the border uh, with Mexico. Here's a clip. But we have some bad hombres here, and we're going to get them out. 
to me, one of the interesting things was that this was really the first of the three debates where immigration was a significant topic. In the first two, it came up a little bit, but not very much, despite the fact that it's basically Trump's signature policy issue. It's what drove a lot of his support in the Republican primaries. And, you know, he has tried to tone it down. Uh, in the debate, he said that they would basically uh, deport all of the really bad guys, and then they would decide what they do with everyone else afterwards. Uh, but when he uses language like really bad hombres, I think people in the Hispanic community probably hear that very differently from the way he's saying it. And I don't think it helps his chances of winning over the Hispanic electorate really at all. I don't know if, if there's a lot of evidence that he's even trying to win over the Hispanic electorate anymore, at least not doing any major outreach. Uh, I mean, this is very much part of his law and order, uh, his law and order meme, and also his his aggressive policies on immigration. Uh, I think, again, it's an area where, as Dimitri says, we didn't see a lot of, of actual policy debate uh, in earlier debates. We did actually see the two candidates getting into some detail now on immigration um, with Clinton's um, ideas for a pathway to citizenship, for example. Trump pushing back on that, um, pushing on his wall idea and pushing on the idea that there are, in his view, many, many criminals in the U.S. who are illegal immigrants. I slightly disagree. I think that he has been... it doesn't always look like he's trying to reach out to certain groups, but the fact that he said last night that we will try and deal with the other group later on, I think was a way that he's trying to soften the language in the, in the way that his campaign managers are advising him to. But the problem, as Sam referred to earlier, is he's so undisciplined that even when he does something his campaign team says he should, he then reverses course during the middle of the debate or he shoots himself in the foot. And I think that's what he did again last night. And some people even thought that he was saying bad hombre, which is... Uh, has turned into this massive meme on Twitter of, of people having a bad hair dye job. So I'm not sure if it worked exactly the way he was he was hoping it would. Uh, and he also, I mean, just speaking of bad hombres, I mean, one of the moments uh, I think everyone will remember from the debate was at one point they were having quite a wonky discussion about social security and entitlements, which is very important. But at one point, Trump interjects and says, such a nasty woman which, again, I don't think is going to be heard very well by the independent women in this country, although it will go down very well with uh, his core supporters. Nasty woman referring to his opponent. Referring to yeah. Hillary Clinton. Crooked Hillary. Again, uh, again, a real a real own goal by Donald Trump. Uh, he was being goaded into it by Hillary Clinton quite effectively, uh, She, which, which she repeatedly do, did during the debate, this particular context. She was talking about how one area, uh, one way of tackling entitlement costs would be higher taxes on the wealthy, like her, and like Mr. Trump, if he doesn't try to wriggle out of it, she added, almost as an aside, which immediately then provoked this response by Donald Trump. As you say, uh, as Dimitri says, I don't think this is going to help with his serious problem uh, with the female vote in America. So my question is, we've got less than three weeks to go. Did the debate, does it change the outcome of this race in any way? Did it, you know, is it going to change some the, the minds of some undecided voters? Did this debate have any impact on the race? I think it had impact in one sense, which was that it basically preserved the momentum in Hillary Clinton's favor. I mean, Trump needed a really good night in Las Vegas to try and turn things around, to make himself look more presidential, uh, to make himself look maybe a little bit more moderate while not abandoning his base. And at the beginning of the debate, he was heading in that direction. I mean, he looked kind of subdued, but actually that's probably what he needed to do. But as Sam said earlier, as soon as he got into the Russia question, basically old Trump came out and we were treated to uh, some of his usual rhetoric. And I think that will confirm in a lot of people's minds that he doesn't have the temperament to be president. And it certainly won't win over any new voters, which is what he needs to change the momentum in the polls right now. 
You've, you've really seen uh, among the, the first two debates anyway, too early to say for this one, a bump up in the polls for Hillary Clinton following those debates and amidst the controversy which have, uh, have, uh, has swelled around the debates. For, ex- for example, the Alicia Mercado controversy after the first debate. Uh, so he needed to get a real, a real result last night in order to reverse that upward momentum that Hillary Clinton has been enjoying. And I agree with Dimitri. I don't think he's achieved that at all. There was some signs that were some signs of discipline early on, but it decayed very rapidly. It got back into this name-calling and, and mudslinging, which is not helping him broaden his base at all. Was there any points that either candidate or even the moderator, Chris Wallace, missed? Was there anything that you're really hoping to see discussed that just was completely abandoned? Not really, because each debate has a different theme, and it's you know there's so many things you could talk about. I mean, I think Chris Wallace did a good job. He did a good job in the primaries, too, in that he asked good questions, he followed up, he kept the candidates to a certain extent under control and didn't let them waffle or um, go off the reservation too much. It would have been interesting to see uh, Wallace or Trump press Clinton more on the emails. As Sam said earlier, that's an area where Clinton is vulnerable. And uh, we haven't really seen her how to defend herself because she very quickly pivots to something else. And Trump doesn't seem to be able to manage to bring it back to a place where he can attack her soft spot. So I would have liked to see a bit more in that just to see how she would respond. I agree. I mean, and these were not particularly dexterous uh, pivots. They were very obvious pivots off the topic of the emails. Uh, as I said earlier, slightly clod hopping. Um, and yet neither the moderator nor, nor Mr. Trump managed to pull her back and actually drill into those issues. Um, so I agree. I think probably that was the main a missing element. I would reiterate what Dimitri said, though. I thought it was excellent moderation. Um, I thought that was that was one of the big standout points of this debate. Uh, you know, you did actually get some content there. You did get some discussion of policy, and that was partly down to the way the moderating happened. So Chris Wallace might have been the winner of the debate. <laughs> I, I think Chris Wallace uh, probably won the debate, but I'm not sure he's going to be president. So. Fair enough. We talked about this earlier, and that is some of the sort of division within the Republican Party, especially after Donald Trump came out and said, you know, I'm not going to guarantee tonight that I will accept the decision uh, that, you know, American voters make on November the 8th. Senator Lindsey Graham, um, who, you know, was a fellow competitor in the Republican primary, he went out on Twitter after the debate saying that Trump is doing the party and the country a great disservice. So how does the rest of the Republican Party, the GOP, how do they sort of contend with Donald Trump in the remaining weeks of this campaign as they're sort of trying to eke out some of their congressional races? Well, they're completely caught between a rock and a hard place because what Trump is saying and what he's doing makes it very difficult for them to win the White House. On the other hand, it helps them in congressional races where, it, where in areas where he has where Trump has a lot of supporters. So race by race, it's different. Some Republican congressmen are coming out defending Trump. Others are running away from him. To me, you know, what happens on number, November 8th is important in the sense that if it's a landslide victory for Clinton, which it may not be, but if it is then it's going to be impossible for Trump to say the election was rigged. But his core supporters won't believe that it wasn't rigged. And then what happens after that? You already have an unholy war within the Republican Party, which is only going to get worse. This is a party that four years ago, and and, and Sam has written about this, uh, had an autopsy after Mitt Romney lost and said, we need to reach out to Hispanic Americans. We need to reach out to women. We need to be a party less of old white men. And they were trying to move in that direction. And then in walked in an old white man who's basically dialed the clock back decades. Um, I don't know how you see it, Sam. I agree. I mean, you've seen this with some of the congressional, the down ballot uh, um, candidates on the Republican side. They've been walking these very, very 
difficult tightrope between distancing themselves from Trump's comments, but not completely uh, throwing him out and therefore alienating his supporters. And voters see through this. That's the problem for these candidates. If a, if a candidate has been more or less lukewarmly supporting Trump and then destries, tries to distance him, this is seen as inconsistent. If they cling to him, uh, many of the more moderate voters who they're trying to attract will find that uh, uh, disturbing. Uh, I'm sure that that syndrome will carry on now because of this whole question about the legitimacy of the outcome that he's raised uh, and, and this rigging question that he's raised. So I think uh, my, my caveat to all that is um, leaving this, the Senate is obviously a very narrow majority that the Republicans uh, enjoy. So that clearly is uh, highly contested. It is a very, very high mountain for the Democrats to climb to actually regain the House. And I think that's something where we just need to keep that in perspective. Um, no one's ruling it out. Um, there are still several weeks to go uh, when all sorts of unexpected things can happen. But it is, a, it is going to be a, quite a climb for the Democrats to capitalize on some of the Trump controversy and actually win the House back. Sure. Well, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Patty Waldmeyer, she was in Racine, Wisconsin, which is Paul Ryan's district. Uh, she was there to watch the debate on Wednesday night, and she sent some clips of what supporters had to say about Mr. Trump's performance. I did. I think that Mr. Trump did well for what he was uh, dealt with. I think that um, with the kind of rhetoric that we get from Hillary Clinton, that he uh, dealt with it appropriate in his own manner. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Mr. Trump per se, but I really believe he is a much, much, much better alternative than Hillary Clinton. Leaning more towards him than Hillary. Hillary's been caught with too many lies, and the scary part was with her emails. And has the events of the past week with Mr. Trump and the allegations against him, has that made you more likely to vote for him or less? It, to me, I can care less what they had to say about that. I mean, I'm from the older generation. It started way back when with God knows how many presidents, Kennedy and all the way on down. So, no, that's, to me, it's nothing. That's a man. I think one of the fascinating things about Ryan is, as Sam alluded to, he came out and he said, I'm not going to defend Trump. I'm not going to campaign for Trump. Uh, but he didn't rescind his endorsement. But just to show you how bizarre the selection is, you had senators come out and say, after I listened to the Trump tape and the allegations about sexual assault, etc., uh, there's no way I can support Donald Trump. I'm rescinding my endorsement. And then one day or two days later, when they talked to their grassroots base back in their state or their district, they realized they were going to be killed. And so they came out and said, upon mature reflection, I think I actually will support Donald Trump, but I'd like him to be a little bit nicer. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, talk about flip-flopping. Yeah, I agree. And as, as I said, this, this, this is the problem. They, they are really caught. Uh, they don't know how to respond. And so they're ending up in invidious positions, um, which uh, make them, as, as Dimitri say, look extremely inconsistent. So you've got three weeks to go, or less than that now. Uh, what does the Clinton campaign have to do? What does the Trump campaign have to do? I'll leave it up to you guys to decide which one you want to take. Well, I think on the on the Clinton campaign now, it's going to be very much about mobilizing um, mobilizing the basis. The, the voter registration battle is now drawing to an end. It's very much now about getting the vote out, and that means knocking on um, people's uh, knocking on people's front doors, manning phone banks, and making sure that their core supporters. Uh, really turn out um, in in uh, on November the eighth, and indeed before early voting has been an important theme in this election too. That people are trying to get 
uh, the parties, especially the Democrats, are trying to get their voters out before November the 8th so they can get as many votes in the bag as possible before the day. So I think that's their main focus. I, th- I think their messaging is in place. Donald Trump is doing a lot of the work for them right now by continuing to swirl, uh, to stir up controversies. Um, exam- the example last night being this um, suggestion that he might not accept the result of the election. I think they just got to double down, I suspect, and, and focus on, on making sure their voters turn up. I mean, Trump in the last few weeks has been throwing what Americans call a Hail Mary pass. Uh, He sees that he's in a really tough position. He's now doubling down, as Sam said, on his anti-establishment rhetoric. The one advantage he has is, my sense from being on the campaign trail now for 19 months, believe it or not, is there is a lot more enthusiasm for Trump among his supporters than there is enthusiasm for Clinton among her supporters. And I think Trump is hoping that he can get out enough of the you know, the working class white men in Ohio and Pennsylvania and other areas and people who are suffering economically to outweigh the increased female vote that Clinton's going to get, the African-American vote. You know, earlier on the campaign, that might have been an argument that we thought was going to work. But he's dug such a big hole for himself in the last few weeks that it's really hard to see what he can do beyond what he's doing now. But there's one caveat. I mean, we're getting a drip drab of leaked emails from the Clinton campaign coming out almost every day. There could be something explosive in there that will change the dynamic of the election. I think we can't discount that. Well, as we say almost every week, much remains to be seen. That's it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter. Sam is at Sam1Fleming. Dimitri is at Dimi, which is D-I-M-I. And I'm at Amy P. Keen. Uh, remember to sign up for our daily campaign trail newsletter. It's called White House Countdown. You can sign up at ft.com forward slash NBE. Sam, Dimitri, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.